Good morning. If any of you are new, I'm Roger, I'm senior pastor here at Life Church. Just want to welcome you this morning and welcome to our viewers online as well. We're continuing our series on the Psalms this morning uh, with Psalm 40. The, uh, the first time I heard the words to this psalm uh, wasn't in a sermon um, or even reading them in the Bible. It was in a song sung by Bono in the Irish rock band U2. Anyone know U2? So U2, one of my favorite bands, by the way. So U2 set the first three verses of this psalm to a song and called it 40. Um, it's the 10th and final track on their 1983 album called War. Um, and since then, Psalm 40 has become one of my all-time favorite psalms. So before we get into talking about it, I want to show you a video of a live performance of this song. This is in Chicago from U2's uh, Vertigo tour back in 2004. And the video is about 4 minutes and 40 seconds long. So... Enjoy.
pretty cool, huh? So there are two distinct uh, layers of meaning in the psalm that I want, that I want to cover this morning. <clears throat> the first is David. The second is Jesus. The first is what David does uh, when he seeks God's help. The latter is how the psalm prophetically points to Jesus. So first, David. In the first half of Psalm 40, David remembers God's grace and his mercies in the past. In the second half, David cries out to God for even more. Um, These two steps, I want to sit on these for a little bit. Um, they're, because they're really important. Remembering and then crying out. We're going through trials and challenges in life. We need to remember these two. Remembering and crying out. Remembering gives us hope. It builds our faith. Um, and crying out allows us to get real with God and express our deepest need for him and to him. Uh, it puts us in a place where we can more readily receive his grace. So, so here are the first three verses again. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. So these verses give us a beautiful picture of God's deliverance. Um, At one time, David must have been in some kind of pit of despair, like feeling like mud or mire. Um, In other words, he was stuck. He couldn't get out on his own. We don't know what specific situation David was in, but he needed help. Uh, Maybe it was when King Saul was hunting him. Or maybe it was years later when his son Absalom was trying to kill him. Um, But he needed God's help, and God came through. So maybe maybe you're in a pit right now. Uh, Maybe you're stuck, and you don't know what to do. Uh, Maybe you've fallen into a pit, And you've tried to climb out, but you just can't seem to do it. Uh, Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a health concern. Maybe it's financial fears. Maybe you had your hopes up for something and then you were left disappointed. Uh, Maybe you've fallen once again into some like really bad habit or sinful behavior or even an addiction essentially a pit of your own creation. And you're wondering, when's God going to give up on me? Um, We all fall in a pit, one point or another. But what do we do when we fall into that pit? Well, we learn from Psalm 40 that first, we need to remember. The act of remembering what God has done in the past is extremely important. Like the word remember... Uh, occurs in some form or another about 240 times in Scripture. And notice that David doesn't just remember vaguely, he remembers specifically, right? He specifically remembers God's grace in his life, right? He turned to me. He heard my cry. 
He lifted me out of the pit. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me, and he gave me a new song to sing. Right? So when we find ourselves in the pit, and we all do at one point or another, it's important to remember, to specifically remember God's provision in our life. Um, Times when he's cared for us, times when he's provided for us, times when he's answered our prayers, times when he has blessed us beyond uh, what we were expecting. It's also important to remember, um, if you're a Christian, that that means that God has pulled you out from the ultimate pit of destruction. Um, God rescued you from the pit of hell, and he has given you a new life. And if God can pull you out of that pit, um, he can definitely pull you out of the smaller pits uh, that we fall into, right? So the second thing that we need to do when we find ourselves in the pit is to cry out. That's what David's doing in this psalm. Um, After he talks about a previous time when he was in the pit and God pulled him out, he cries out for God to do it again. Verse 13 says, please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. One of the things I I hope we're learning in this series on the Psalms uh, is that God wants our authenticity. He wants our transparency. Um, He wants us to be real, not fake. You ever come across Christians who you felt like weren't real, right? Right? They're kind of fake. Like, we want to be real. God can take it, right? We want to be real and not fake because we're human. Um, And because we're human and because we live in a fallen world, sometimes we hurt. Sometimes we really hurt. And crying out to God isn't at all sinful Uh, It doesn't show that you lack faith. Um, Crying out really can come from a deep place of putting our trust in the Lord. Um, He's our Father. He cares for us, right? When a kid gets hurt and he cries and he buries his face in his mother's lap, right? Why does he do that? He does that because he trusts his mom. I mean, if she was mean or abusive, um, he probably wouldn't turn to her when he's, when he's suffering. He'd, he'd go off with someone else or he'd try to figure out some way to comfort himself. So like that kid, God's children should run to their father when they hurt as well. Um, to cry out to God really demonstrates a childlike trust, not a lack of faith. So unfortunately, there's one more thing uh, that we need to do while we're in the pit. After we remember what God's done, after we cry out to him, then we need to wait. Uh, The first words of Psalm 40 are, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Right? No one likes to wait. Doesn't matter if you're waiting for your meal at a restaurant Uh, waiting in line at the grocery store, um, or worse, waiting for relief from chronic pain, um, or waiting patiently 
for your next cancer scan, waiting for your grief or your pain, like from a broken relationship or the loss of a loved one to like subside. But that's where David was at, right? He had to wait on the Lord to rescue him. These words, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Like there could be days, weeks, months, even years um, between our crying out to God and the rescue rope out of the pit. Sometimes the darkness is stubborn. Sometimes God makes us wait. Why does he make us wait? That's a question, a good honest question. Why does God make us wait? Because while we're waiting, God is still working. Um, Even if it seems like nothing's happening, God is still active and he's still doing things. Like God's always doing about 10,000 things in our life, and we're only aware of maybe three of them, right? What we see is only a tiny fraction of what God's doing behind the scenes. And the part we see might not even make sense. But that's okay. We don't need to work it out. We just need to trust that God is still working and that he won't leave us and he won't forsake us. Right? If you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, he won't leave you in that pit. So we learn that it was David who most likely wrote this psalm. We don't know that 100%, but that's the most uh, likely interpretation. And so when we read Psalm 40, we interpret it through the life and the person of David, King David. David was in a pit of some sort. Maybe it was literal, maybe it was metaphorical, um, and God rescued him. But there's another layer of meaning for this psalm, and I think it's the coolest of all. So the writer of Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. He said, When Christ came into the world, he said to God, You do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the scriptures. So when Jesus said this, he was referencing Psalm 40, um, specifically verses 6 through 8, which say this, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come, as is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. So Jesus essentially quotes Psalm 40, and he applies it to himself. King David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, first wrote Psalm 40 about a thousand years before Jesus was born. It applies to David, but it also prophetically points to Jesus. Even the beginning of Psalm 40 points to Jesus' death. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, 
And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. So on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, um, when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was praying, where he was sweating blood, um, on that night, one of the places that Jesus was taken was to the home of the high priest Caiaphas. Jesus was to stand trial first before Caiaphas at his house. Matthew 26, verse 57 says, Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. So in Jerusalem, outside the walls of the city, there's a place um, that many believe to be the location of Caiaphas' house. So for over 1,500 years, there have been shrines and churches built on this location, the location that most believe to be Caiaphas's house. So the current church that's on that site was built in 1931. It's called the Church of St. Peter in Galicantu. Galicantu means the rooster's crow. Now deep down underneath that church, there's a very big pit, a dungeon. Um, this is where a person would be put as they're waiting to be questioned. So this pit has only one way in and one way out. Through a hole in the ceiling uh, where the prisoner would be lowered down into the pit with a rope. There'd be no light down there, just darkness. And if the hole in the ceiling was covered, it'd be pitch black. So on the side of the church that sits above this pit, there's a mosaic of Jesus. He's harnessed with a rope waiting to be lifted out of the pit. Once he was pulled out of the pit, Jesus' feet would be, of course, set back on solid ground. And God the Father would have steadied Jesus as he walked up to meet his accusers face to face. And when Caiaphas, the high priest, stood up and said to Jesus, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? Jesus remained silent. It's in Mark 14. It says, then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Now, he didn't stay silent. As Psalm 40 says, God the Father gave him a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God, right? And Mark 14 goes on to describe it, says this. And the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need other witnesses? You've all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him 
And they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. So with those words, guilty, he deserves to die, the death trap that began as the pit in the basement of Caiaphas's home would end, it expanded, right? It would end in death by crucifixion. So one of Jesus' disciples sat outside of Caiaphas's house, Peter, who would deny Jesus that night. So think about it. Peter denying Jesus. Think about that when we read verse 4 of Psalm 40, and this is in the ESV translation, uh, says this, many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Interesting. So when Peter said that he never knew Jesus, that was the lie. Of course, uh, Jesus would eventually forgive him for that lie. Now, when we're looking at Psalm 40 through the lens of Christ, um, verse 12 doesn't seem to apply. It says this, For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high. I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. So when we first hear these words, they don't seem to apply to Jesus. Jesus, who is and always has been perfect without sin, right? How can he who is without sin have sin overtake him? So remember that scripture that says that Jesus was made sin for us, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took on the sin of the whole world so that through faith in him we could become children of God. When he willingly took on the guilt of our sins, our burden became his. And he bore all the horrible consequences of those sins. Right? Remember his agony at the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he cried out to God the Father on the cross. Jesus was willing to go through all of that in order to remove the burden of our sin. He took on all of our iniquities, all of, the, all of the nastiness of our sin, and he took it to the cross. He first made them his so that they would no longer be ours. And then Jesus took those sins into the dark pit of death, right? The pit of destruction. And that is where they remain. Right? Separated from us as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And this brings us back again to these words. 
Again, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. So Matthew tells us this uh, in Matthew 27. It says, As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. And there the body of Jesus was laid. Um, The jaws of death had closed over him. For three days, Jesus lay there in the darkness of death. And then those words from Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. And then God the Father on that first Easter morning turned to Jesus and heard his cry. He lifted Jesus out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set his resurrected, nail-pierced feet on solid ground and steadied him as he walked out of the tomb that first Easter morning. And here's the good news. That's good news, but here's even more good news. Paul says in Romans 6, 5, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So what does that mean? It means that if we are in Christ, the words of Psalm 40, this beautiful prayer of trust in the face of death, are now our words. This psalm had specific meaning for David, and I think I've showed that this psalm is prophetically messianic, which means it has specific meaning for Jesus, but now it can be our prayer too. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can trust that God will rescue you, he will rescue your body, every part of you, out of the death trap, out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud and the mire, both the little pit that you're in today and the terrible, eternal pit of death and damnation. If you are in Christ, uh, when the day of judgment comes, your feet will eternally be set upon a rock, upon Jesus, the rock of our salvation, right? And your steps will be secure in Christ. Look at the last few verses of Psalm 40 once more. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, aha, we've got him now. 
But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. So on that last day when Jesus returns, those who tried to destroy us will be humiliated and they will be put to shame. While we, in the resurrection, will rejoice and we will be glad in the Lord. And on that last day, when God has acted on our behalf over and over and over again, we will say, the Lord is great, right? Because it'll be clear that the Lord remembered us and remembered all of our promises in Christ. Until that day, the day when Jesus comes again, um, we can pray the last verse of Psalm 40, which again says, I am poor and needy. Let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. Let's pray. God, you listened to David and you answered his prayer. You listened to your son Jesus and answered his prayer. In both cases, you pulled them out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. You put their feet on solid ground. You steadied them and gave them a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to you. Lord, hear our prayer today. I pray for those here who are in a pit of despair right now. God, may they remember what you've done in their lives. May they cry out to you. And may you answer their prayer in your perfect timing. Pray, God, that you would answer it in such a way that many will see what you've done and be amazed. And they would put their trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.